morning, James chapter 1, and uh, I trust that uh, this message, you're starting to see how everything fits together. Um, there's a lot to say about one who never gives up or quits. Uh, maybe you know somebody like that. Uh, in fact, after more than a hundred failed attempts, Albert Einstein stated, I now know 100 things that won't work, so I'm that much closer to finding out what will. And he was referring to his attempts at inventing the light bulb. And... Um, I, for one, am glad that Albert Einstein persevered. However, far more important is when we as God's children persevere through trials, for it is through perseverance that God blesses. What I miss? I mean, Edison. (laughs) Thank you. I had that written down last night, and I thought to myself, that doesn't sound right. Edison. Right. I'm just making sure you're there with me. I'm glad you guys are with me. I can move on now. Edison. I'm so glad that Edison didn't give up. He persevered. But far more important than a light bulb is our walk with God. And I hope that you never quit, because I know there are times in our walk with God that it's discouraging, that we're frustrated, and you wonder at times, where is God when I seemingly need Him the most? And it's those points in our life that our mind is made up, that we're going to, as I said this morning, consider it all joy as you go through those various trials and temptations. And uh, this morning's message is very similar to one that we t- talked about a couple weeks ago back in the beginning, but he talks about endurance once again, and you're going to see there's a different nuance of it, and it builds on each other as we go through it. So James chapter 1, verse 12 says, The man who endures trials is blessed, because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life, that God has promised to those who love Him. The man who endures trials is blessed. Blessed. The first thing that I want to highlight in this text is the word blessed. Uh, This word is the Greek word makarios, and it refers to the profound inner joy and satisfaction that can only come from knowing God. Uh, The whole idea behind it is that there's something more than just mere happiness. You see, there are a lot of people who are happy on the outward, but on the inside, they do not have joy. They do not have that blessing. And sometimes we equate, and we've heard many people say, wow, that person is really blessed, referring to the things, quote-unquote, that they may have. They may have a nice car or a nice house or a uh, nice boat or or an RV or whatever it is that they treasure. And sometimes we see the things and we say, that person is really blessed. I wonder sometimes, are they really blessed? Or is that just the result of man-made decisions? See, sometimes we equate blessing with things and sometimes it may not have anything to do with things. See, blessing is an inward thing. Uh, the, 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 the profound uh, satisfaction and joy that can only come from knowing God. It is not necessarily the absence of heartache and struggle and pain. Uh, just because I may be blessed doesn't mean I'm not going to have pain. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have struggle. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to have heartache. Blessed is something far more. It's that inner joy and satisfaction that can only come from knowing God. And this blessing is reserved for those who for God's sake endures trials. In fact, in 1 Peter 
chapter 1. I just want to read a couple of verses here. And I, uh, for one, believe that there are several verses in the Scripture that talk about the crowns, and I think that they're synonymous and, and uh, interchangeable in some of these passages. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have to struggle in various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes through, though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he said, you rejoice in this. So having joy and being blessed of God is not the absence of struggle. It's not the absence of trials in our life. Those will come, as we've already learned in this uh, previous text. The second thing I want to highlight is the concept of taking a test. It says there in our text in James chapter 1, verse 12, A man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Test. I don't know about you, but I don't enjoy taking tests. In fact, I don't know how many people really do. I know there's always that one in every class. I was never that one. Um, but I can remember growing up in every class, there's always one that's just, I mean, it was a challenge. It was just like everything they could do just to, to prove that they could ace this thing. I wasn't that one either. So, um, you know, I don't know about most people, but most people don't enjoy taking tests. Tests give indication as to what a person knows or doesn't know. Um, I'm kind of a stickler when it comes to academics, when it comes to how we grade. It's kind of my pet peeve with my kids' teachers all along. Because uh, let me just kind of go on my little rabbit trail just for a minute. My wife is like, oh, Lord. <laughs> Tests give indication to what a person knows or doesn't know. So when a person misbehaves in class, you don't downgrade them because that has absolutely nothing. You punish them. Makes sense, right? Because when they get the grade... Well, I got a C. Well, I got a hundred on my test. Well, yeah, but you were cutting up in class. Not how you grade. See, tests give indication of what you know or don't know. And here's the thing: when it comes to the trials, he relates the trial with the test. And when we respond to the trial correctly, according to God's standard and what He desires for us as His children and how to handle it, guess what? We do well on the test. But when we don't respond, and when we respond in anger, and when we respond in bitterness, and when we respond with frustration, guess what we do on the test? We're not making the grade. And uh, I don't know about you, but it seems like every time we have a passage like this coming up, Satan puts us to the test. And I say it's Satan because I don't know if God would do some of this stuff. Uh, but maybe I could be wrong there. Um, but there are times in our life, I don't know about you, but this week, God has put us through the test this week. It's frustrating when you do certain things and the expectation is not what you desired. Um, circumstances where you, you have an agreement and then a person doesn't carry through. And my wife is right there says, you know, don't return evil for evil, honey. Oh, trust me, I hadn't done the evil yet. Uh, I'm still working on that part of it. She goes, you're supposed to return good for evil. Oh, I said, so you want me to do this for this person? Nah. Hmm. And then I walk away saying, oh, she's right. I'm not going to repeat that. Um, No. (laughs) It's recorded. You know, uh, but there are times we get frustrated. I don't know about you, but last night I go out and my plow works perfect. An hour later I go back to do it again and guess what? Nothing. And Coda figures it out. 
figure that one out. Um, things don't go according to our expectation. And the question is, when those things happen, how do we respond? Because it is a test. He relates these trials and these temptations and these difficult circumstances to going through a test. And you know what? This is one of those tests that you can't really study for at times. Um, nobody gets up in the morning and says, Whew, great day for the water heater to go out. Great day for a flat tire. Whew! Those are tests you don't prepare for. Unless you're in God's Word and you're soaking your mind with it. Because remember, He's already said what in verse 2? Consider it all. Wait a minute. Let me, let me go back. Consider it great joy. Oh man, I have to look at this thing as a test with anticipation and wonderful. Okay, Lord. Um, that's a struggle for many of us. Because in our flesh, we want everything to go according to plan. And God doesn't always allow that to happen. So tests give indication as to whether or not we know or don't know the subject. So once again, the subject of the test, trials, difficulties, and so forth. But once again, you can see how James 1 fits together more and more as we go on. Remember the first part? The process, or the mindset. The mindset. Consider it great joy. Is that our mindset? Are we considering it when you woke up this morning, great joy? Okay, one person did. Um, Len, did you consider it great joy? Amen. I tell you what, sometimes it's a, it's a hard thing to consider everything that happens great joy. But that's the mindset. Before it even happens, before we even experience it, before it even starts, our mind is made up. And then the process. He says very clearly, verse 5, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously without criticizing, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven, tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. An indecisive or double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So what's the process? If I'm going to consider a great joy, and I'm not sure how to do that, what do I do? I ask God. And then God will teach me what I need to know, what I need to understand to be obedient to Him. Does God tell us to do something and not give us the wherewithal to do it? I wondered about that many times in my younger years. I remember God says, be holy as I am holy. And then I say, how can I do that? Did God give me a command that I could not obey? No. You see, in every command, there is a what? There is a surrendering of my will to His will. There is a yielding of my desires to His desires. And as long as I'm willing to surrender and to yield to what He is doing and be, be submissive to His Spirit's leading, I can fulfill what God asked me to do. But as long as I live in the flesh and do what I want to do, it's going to be a constant struggle. I've used this illustration before, but it's been a long time. But uh, years ago, when I was in just junior high, I read this illustration, I remember thinking, there's a lot of truth to this. There's the, the, the proverbial big white wolf and the big black wolf, and all considered equal. They're both the same size, they're both the same muscle mass, they're both the uh, you know, same aggressiveness, but which one's going to win if they get in a fight? The white one representing the Holy Spirit, the black one representing the devil, which one's going to win considering all things equal? The one you feed. The one you feed is going to be stronger. 
So when it comes to our obedience, who are we feeding? The flesh or the spirit? Because that's the one that will win. That's the one that will determine how you do on the test that God allows us to take. Even though we may not like the test, they're going to come. We've, we've talked about that. But there's a blessing to it. So the outcome is God's blessing. The mindset, you're going to consider it joy. The process, you ask God for wisdom, and He'll give it to you if we don't ask without doubting. And then number three, the outcome, it's God's blessing. We see that right away in verse 12. A man who endures trials is blessed. The man who takes that test and responds right according to God's desire, that person is going to experience God's blessing. The inner joy, the inner satisfaction of knowing that he's walking with God and he has God's favor in his life. It's absent of necessarily just material things. It's not absent of struggle and heartache. But yet they can work hand in hand, they go hand in hand as you submit to the Spirit's leading. So once again, you see how James is beginning to fit together very nicely in chapter 1. The God's blessing, the crown of life. The idea behind receiving a crown is taken from an athletic event. It was typically a wreath placed around a uh, participant, a victor's neck. He He has persevered, he has won, and one day many will have the opportunity to receive this crown. You know, it's amazing. Um, I know this will really shock some of you. Uh, You'll be sitting there wondering, no, not you. But I can remember playground competition in second, third, fourth, fifth grade. And the teams were being picked. Jake, close your ears, wherever he is. Think about this. I pick so-and-so, 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 I pick so-and-so. Hello! I'm right here! Oh yeah, we need a big guy to block for the football player. Yeah, you get out there. I hated playing on the playground. Because I was the biggest kid there, but I was okay to play football because I could block for somebody. But if it was a running game, last one. I know that will shock you. But the last one, because when it came to running, I wasn't the fast one. Surprise, I know. Um, but as it all worked out, frustration. Because here I was, ready and wanting to play, and I couldn't. As we grew older, once again, excelled at wrestling. I know that's a shocker. I excelled at wrestling, did very well. I mean, I, and to me it was boring. Uh, I just did it because everyone would talk me into it every year. Uh, I won junior and senior state year, you know, those years. And, you know, I, I mean, I went out there and I just thumped people and got off the mat. And, you know, and it was like more of a, you know, it was one of those deals where coach would say, hey, if you can pin them in the first, I'll do this or do that or whatever. And okay, <laughs> walk out. Wrestling was easy to me. Soccer was not. I know. I didn't like it because a lot of times I couldn't win because I wasn't the fast guy. That was my brother. We jokingly said he got the brain, I got the brawn. He claims he got both, but he's a skinny little twerp. But I didn't like it because I couldn't win. I wanted to do what I could win at. But you know the blessing about the crowns? It's not necessarily rewards. For doing, or it's not necessarily about just the rewards. It's, it's something we can all attain if we are faithful and obedient. It's not just first place, second place, third place, twenty seventh place. The place doesn't matter. It's about the faithfulness and obedience to God that all of us can strive for and should strive for. Right? It's not about just the winning team because the winning team doesn't last. 
I can remember back in high school, kind of, some of the uh, World Series of Baseball. I, I know the Twins won it one year. I don't know if it's 89, 90, 91. I, I don't even remember. And the only reason it's a bleep is because I lived there. We look back at who won, who played in the Super Bowl four years ago. Maybe a couple of you out of the entire group might be able to come up with it. Who was in the World Series seven years ago? Those things don't matter after time. There was a day when I was seven years old, I could give you every IndyCar racer there was at seven years old. I couldn't tell you three now. It's not a priority anymore. People don't remember past victories very long, do they? So really, the first place, the second place, even the 27th place really doesn't matter. What matters is when we stand before God, will we have passed the test because of our obedience through the trials, through the difficulties, we'll have his blessing and the crown of life. That's something every one of us can attain and strive for, ought to strive for. So it's not typically, it's not just a reward. It's a sign of faithfulness and obedience. And one day many will have the opportunity. Let me show you just a couple of scriptures that talk about these. And as I said earlier, I believe some of these crowns are intertwined with each other. Um, you may disagree. As Johnny Hunt says, you have the right to be wrong. It's okay. Second Timothy chapter 4, I want to just highlight a couple of verses. Verse 6 says, For I am ready... I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me one day, or on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. There's going to be a time though, when our faithfulness is going to pay off. And when we stand before God, it will be worth it all. There's a song that talks about it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And that's what it's all about. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, just over a few pages to the right. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, it says this. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you. There's that word. And you will be, have affliction for ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. What's he saying? The crown is a sign of being faithful. And there is a blessing in that. But what's he saying here, as we said earlier? Life is not absent of struggle. Life is not absent of difficult circumstances. But when we persevere and endure through it, God says you'll be blessed. And this crown that we have to look forward to is going to be a blessing. And then 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, says this. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What's, what a, what, is there something greater to look forward to than standing before Jesus one day? If there is, I'm not sure what it is. So as I say, these crowns are not necessarily crowns of award, but rather for all believers who love God and are faithful to Him. But James does one other thing here in the passage. James draws a correlation between love for God and perseverance. Love for God and perseverance. They go hand in hand. So what are the characteristics of someone who loves God? Because look at our text here, verse 12. 
A man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who what? Love him. So he says there's a correlation between enduring through the trials and passing the test and our love for him. Question. As we're going through the trials and the tests of life, what motivation do we have to, to do our best? What motivation do any of us even have to respond correctly? We're not the same person. We're not who we are before Christ entered our life, right? We're a new man. All things are passed away. All things have become new, right? So now we have a different perspective. We have a different outlook. Now we do it because what? We love him because he first loved us. And our love is a motivation for responding right. And when we love God, it's motivation to keep passing those tests right. Because we'll stand before him one day. But look at these couple of verses here. John chapter 14. So what does this look like? It's a familiar verse. But John chapter 14 and verse 15. Very simple. Needs very little explanation. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Pretty simple and straightforward. Basic English. He says, if you love me, here's the result. You'll keep my commands. So the question is, if we reverse that, if you don't love me, you won't keep my commands. If you're not keeping my commands, it's probably because what? You don't love me. It's a relationship factor. In a relationship, what's your motivation to do something? Let's say, for example, with your spouse. Why do we do what we do for our spouses? Because we love them. And when we don't love them, because love is more than an emotion, right? We all know that we're old enough to get that right. Love goes far beyond emotion. In fact, I like what Gary Smalley wrote years ago. Love is a decision that results in action. When we love somebody, it goes far greater than just words. In fact, love is a decision that results in action. In other words, talk is cheap. So I said before, your talk talks and your walk walks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Right? Yeah, it's flipping around. Your walk walks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Right? We get that. Words are cheap. Words don't matter after a while. Yeah, it messes my brain too. I know. <laughs> but you know what? Talk is cheap sometimes. We can say we love, but if our life doesn't back it up, it's empty words. And Christ says here, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And then First John, he says, and my commands are not what? Grievous. They're not difficult. It's not more than you can handle, so to speak. In fact, in Romans 12, he says, your reasonable service is the least that you can do to give your life a living sacrifice for him because of our love. The bottom line is, Love is a decision that results in action. If you love me, you will keep my commands. What commands have God given us? To deny the things of the world? To spend time in prayer and developing a relationship of communication with Him? To be true and faithful and spreading His word? To forsake not the assembling? I mean, then we can go through and we can talk about commands all day long. Biblical principles that God has asked us to enforce, or God has asked us to implement into our lives. How are we doing with those? 
The simple things that God has asked us to do to prove our love. Not to gain His love, but to prove our love to Him. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. How are we doing with that? And in John chapter 15, look at verses 9 and 10. It says, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. He says, look, this is a relationship. This is a relationship. And He said, we love each other and we stay committed to each other. And we abide in each other. Because of the love relationship. Turn, over, turn your Bibles over to 1 John chapter 2. We're almost through. 1 John chapter 2. Some key verses that reinforce this whole, this whole line here. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. In fact, here's what he says. This is how we are sure that we have come to know Him. How? By keeping His commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, is a what? Liar. And the truth is not in him. Those are some harsh words. And I didn't say them. God did. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him is the love of God perfected or matured. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. So in other words, he says, this goes beyond just words to my life. Does my life, by my example, by my obedience, by how I walk, show God that I love him, that I'm truly his child? Look in chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and verse 16. It says, and we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. So he draws us once again, a correlation of love, of abiding in him. And then 1 John chapter 5, verses 1-3. through 3. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey his commands. Once again, so love and obedience go hand in hand. And our obedience gives credence to the fact that we say what we say if we love Him. So for this is what the love of God is, to keep His commands. Now His commands are not a burden, because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. And this is a victory that has conquered the world, our faith. And who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? As we put this stuff together, we're seeing that it all fits very nicely. It's like a puzzle. Consider it great joy. Your mindset is to be made when the tests come. How? Gain wisdom from God. He'll show you how you need to respond. And as we get that wisdom from God, how does that happen? By us fellowshipping and abiding in Him. Apart from fellowshipping and abiding in God, you don't have it. Because we need this to do that, right? So as we spend time with God, and we begin to know His heart, we begin to know what his, his love, we begin to know everything that He has for us to know through His written Word, we're abiding with Him, we're fellowshipping with Him, we're communicating with Him, He's talking to us and we're talking to Him, right? 
as we begin to do that, that's abiding. And the more we abide, we can, our, our, we're learning what God has for us and how He wants us to respond to these things. And we're taking the test that comes even though we haven't, pre- haven't necessarily prepared for this particular one. And God allowed this, so we're going to take this test and we're going to do well. And it all stems down to this. My obedience and my love for God. And it motivates me to please Him. So, by our obedience, does it demonstrate our love or the lack thereof? Our text, one more time. A man who endures trials is blessed. So what's he really saying? If you want to really dig deeper. The bottom line is, (laughs) we're going to have trials and we might as well embrace them. We might as well embrace them. And say, thank you God, it's another opportunity to respond right. It's another opportunity to demonstrate my love. And God, I trust you. You're not going to make any mistakes. That's really what it is. God's already said that all things work together for good. To them that, what? oh, there's that phrase again. Love God. are called according to His purpose. And verse 29, for whom He did for no, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. Right? So the more we love God, the more we embrace these things and respond right, the more God has the opportunity to mold us and to make us into something more like Him. And that's not always easy. Because we have this thing called the flesh that fights it. Not much you, but the flesh, my flesh is strong. Man, it's strong. And it requires daily surrender, daily yielding to God. So, a man who endures these trials is blessed. Because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life. What a blessing. What an awesome thing to look forward to. But, not only that, he's promised this to those who love him. How do I know if I love him? By whether or not I'm abiding, whether or not I'm obeying him, whether or not I'm doing what he's asked me to do. That's a daily struggle for so many. How's our love for the Lord? What does that look like? What does that look like in our lives? I think it's also evidenced by how we respond to one another around us. Because when you don't love, you don't respond right. When we don't love, we respond in the flesh rather than the spirit. The voice is raised and the yelling starts and the discontentment sets in. And all these things are just demonstrations of whether or not we truly love. And if they're coming out, that means the Holy Spirit's kind of being suppressed. It really is a struggle to say daily, God, I surrender. And I want to go through the trial. I'm going to go through the, the, I'm going to endure through it. And I'm going to ask God to do what only He can do in my life so that He is glorified. Challenge this week. Endure. But don't just endure. Endure for God's glory. One day knowing that the blessing is going to come and the crowns that He has for us. All comes down to a decision to surrender and obey. How will you respond this week? Let's pray.